season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Stephen G. was recorded on July 20th, 2023. Hi, everybody. Um, well, I, I, oops, I was going to read something. Oh, there it is. Um, thank, uh, thank everybody for inviting me, Dottie. Thank you. And, uh, um, I was uh, surprised. I forgot that I agreed. I mean, Dottie and I talked about a date, and then it just slipped my mind because, uh, well, um, it did. I don't know why. Why? Because I got a lot of going on in my life, um, good and bad. Like I just had my birthday, my fetal birthday. When I'm now, I'm sixty-four, dun, dun, and uh, and I was laughing that the. Um, when I get home at quarter to three, would you unlock the door or something? I can't remember. I should have listened to it beforehand. But it doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean quarter to three a.m. anymore. And Paul McCartney wrote that when he was young. Now it's quarter to three p.m. You know, <laughs> just I haven't seen quarter to three a.m. in years. You know? And uh, it also brought to mind um, when we were reading the, uh, um, the ACA uh, prayer. Um, this is something that uh, that somebody sent me right around my birthday. It's called the senility prayer. Grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway. The good fortune to run into the ones I do and the eyesight to tell the difference. And <laughs> I just think that's, yeah. That's so it's so fun. Is that you know those of the, the those of us with who sharing the the the, the gray hair look, um, will will know what I'm talking about. And you know, and I'm just so blessed. I bought myself a uh, a 2003 Volkswagen Weekender uh, for my birthday, and which means that I get to go camping. I get to do a little bit of a adventuring around. Um, one of the things that I'm still a few years away from uh, retiring. Um, just because, you know, my pension's okay. Social security's okay, but I can't live without both of them. And I still got a little bit of time for pension and my youngest is 22 and I need him to stay on my insurance for a little while longer. So I got a, I got a fairly de decent job. And, uh, so I'll, I'll stick with that. But, uh, one of, one of my, my dreams was when I retired was to, uh, visit some of the remote meetings and either, uh, put on pre-written uh, workshops or volunteer to speak or do something like that. And then uh, here comes uh, the good part about COVID, which is Zoom. So now all these remote meetings are no longer remote. Yeah, it's still wonderful. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to, to visiting some, some places that are, uh, because there's nothing like the face-to-face, heart-to-heart uh, sharing that we get to do. So um, I'm uh, since I didn't really expect to uh, to share until this morning, uh, we get to thank uh, thank Dottie 
for teaching us all a little bit of patience and acceptance for any of my rambling, which I may do. I tried to listen to uh, to my last share and uh, to try and remember where I where I kind of left off, and uh, and the, the share I did before, which was a lot of rambling, which I hope I'm not quite as. Uh, I don't have as many ums and pauses as I did then. So for some of you who, uh, who haven't heard me, I will try and uh, try and be really quick about uh, telling some of my story about just the history. Um, I hate the word qualify. I remember when I was in OA, the, every speaker would like to say, uh, okay, for I'm going to qualify now for 30 minutes or whatever. And it's like, I'm in the room that qualifies me to be here. And if I have to qualify, then you're judging me. And, um, you know, that would, um, I might as well go back to my family of origin if I'm going to be judged. So, um, I was, uh, I started out life, um, that, uh, according to my mother's stories, uh, she announced she was served by mother's, my father's, biological father's boyfriend. Uh, she announced to him while they were in a motel in Dallas, Texas, that she is pregnant. And he celebrated that fact by abandoning her and me in a, uh, in a little motel in Dallas. And which led to us being uh, bused back to Chicago, where she was from. My grandfather said, no, you don't get a, uh, I don't want a bastard child. And, um, uh, Putting together stories of my mother, I was probably, I could have been uh, maybe her third or fourth abortion at that point, including miscarriages, actually. And I was put up for adoption, and I was accepted by a family in Detroit, and uh, and everything was going along smoothly. And uh, at the last minute, uh, the woman uh, who was of the family that were gonna, was going to adopt me, she became pregnant, from, and they had been trying for years, and, and uh, miraculously became pregnant. And when, when I was born in a hospital, the nurses did something that they weren't supposed to do because I was still being put up for adoption, which is to put me in my mother's arms. And she said, I'm going to keep it. And uh, so um, I was raised by a, an, an angel prostitute. She, uh, she took me home. Her family rejected her. Uh, she took me home and uh, to her only place she could, which is her girlfriend's house, who made her living as an escort at the time. So my mother took up the trade and then later on started using more heavy drugs. She was always a drug user, but started using more heavy drugs to kind of deal with the, the things that she had to do. Um, I don't really have any, uh, any, a lot of memories. I was thinking, I was listening to, uh, was it last week's share, Sophie or something like that? Um, and how she did, she had done some, uh, regression therapy and stuff and remembered more stuff that was closer to her birth and, and maybe, uh, maybe even in utero. And, uh, so that kind of got me interested and, uh, and scared at the same time. My mother, you know, we were in, we were in such a strange place that, uh, I don't even know if I want to go there because I'm okay. I love M's picture. She's just smiling at me. I know it's a frozen picture, but it just it's just making me so happy to see. It's I love it. 
and the rest of you as well who are, who are, who are live with us. Oh, there she is. Anyway, I just love everybody. I just, you know, um, so anyway, uh, so that happened. And then, uh, um, at some point my, uh, my biological father was a musician and my mom got this, this wonderful check and a, and a signature and a, a contract that said that, uh, she will never acknowledge, uh, that he is my father and, uh, um, or my sire as it was. Um, and here's a thousand dollars. And so she went, yeah, great. Thousand dollars. Yeah, great. I got, I got a son. I got a thousand dollars. I'm okay with that. And, uh, fast forward a couple of years, he's got this new singing partner and they're doing really successful. And my mom got her, uh, her 22 year old body back and she was gorgeous. She was a uh, half Sicilian, half gypsy and with beautiful olive skin. And she went to the concert to say, look, but you can't have no more. Ha, 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 and fell in love with the partner, broke up the duo. And, uh, and a couple of years later, uh, after she got pregnant with my little brother, married him. And, uh, and that was a kind of a crazy thing. That's, you know, kind of tell you the place we were at at that point. Um, my, when my grandmother found out my, that my mother was pregnant, dragged them down to the courthouse and they thought it was a, um, they thought it was a co, um, hallucination. And next thing you know, they were married yeah, and they'd been married to, till their death. Yeah. And, uh, but that's how, how strung out they were on, uh, on methamphetamine is that they got married without even knowing about it. Uh, soon after that. Uh, there's a couple other little stories in there, you know, uh, about being me being a people pleaser. You know, um, my mom tells the story of when I was five years old, we were living in the lower, lower east side of New York and I gave away all my toys to the neighborhood, neighborhood kids. And, uh, not that I probably had a bunch of toys. Yeah. Um, but we did cause we were living in a, uh, we were living in a basement apartment. And it really wasn't an apartment. It was the uh, basement next to the boiler. And my mom had hooked up some blankets to make our own little room. That kind of let, let, let you know where that was from. At about 1964, they discovered a spiritual group that they joined and, uh, and became sober uh, from drugs, not necessarily an emotional sober or anything like that. But uh, but they began to improve their lives and by by extension improve my life and I started getting brothers and sisters so we ended up being uh, five altogether six six altogether five uh, they had five children altogether and uh, um, we lived I mean it was like you know the closest thing uh, to a uh, a picket fence the two beatniks ex drug addicts. Uh, who are in a uh, religious cult, for lack of a better term, could be. And uh, we bounced around. My father was a performer and uh, my stepfather, I, I call him my father because he's the man who raised me. Um, and we bounced around and between my mom having another baby and, and him doing either better or worse financially. We moved from place to place to place to place. And it was, uh, so I was, um, one thing about it is, uh, I was always the, the odd kid out. You know, I was always the new kid. They always, you know, never picked for sports, never, you know. And by the time I had 
come out of that shell and become friends with somebody in the neighborhood, we're moving. So that was it. Um, but in the meantime, uh, in the spiritual group that they belong to, um, I had lifelong friends in there who I, you know, we might have, you know, some people might have lived in Bay Area and some we lived in Los Angeles and some, you know, and but I had lifelong friends, people like people in my life that I've known now uh, since I was uh, like eight years old and they're con consistently through my life. And as a matter of fact, one of them um, whose little sisters claimed to fame as a, I, I was her very first kiss uh ended up meeting my brother-in-law at my wedding and they're still married and moved to australia and uh, so i did have consistency in my life but also inconsistency my mother was a was a big talker on the phone and uh, maybe that's why i got uh, a little bit of talking that that i like to do my uh and she was also like larger than life and uh i mean yeah, she was at one point in my teenage years she became everybody's mother you know i would i would uh i would bring teenagers home because we by this time we lived in hollywood and and i would bring home runaways and stuff uh my my father my stepfather who i will call my dad and uh, to to not be confused um he was also larger than life he was a he was an actor and an entertainer and we had other actors and entertainers in the backyard who was also larger than life, which meant that I became a uh, somewhat of a wallflower at that point in my life and, uh, and, and growing up. And um, how I overcame that was when I was about 13 years old, um, I found out that my, my, my dad wasn't my father. This other guy was my father. And that became, I think I told the story before of real, yeah, at that point we were living in Virginia. I was being bullied mercilessly on the, uh, on our school bus. And I started skipping the school bus and hitchhiking around Virginia instead of going to school. And then, so eventually I started expanding that. And one of the ways I, I developed a personality was I would get brides by these truckers or whoever and uh and they would want to hear stories yeah some of some people would want to talk and have me listen which was also a really good tool that i was learning because uh it made uh, a lot of my friends and a lot of the uh a lot of people that i interact with now uh um you know i can i can actually listen and hear someone's story instead of as I'm listening to somebody share, think about what I'm sharing. I can actually put myself away and actually pay attention. So that was a really good tool that I learned without knowing that I was learning the tool that was going to benefit me later. But I also learned to tell a story. And some of them were just stories. And I, you know, a shaggy dog story, if anybody knows what a shaggy dog story is, basically take a joke that's about this big and make it this big. And, you know, and, um, and just be kind of entertaining and fun. And when I, I'm like to hear, I'm going to jump again. When I got into ACA, I read, we've become people pleasers. And so I thought that was a really bad thing. Yeah, you know, I'm a people pleaser. I'm, but then over, over the last six years, I've kind of decided that 
I am a people pleaser and I really own that, but not in a bad way. I don't sur completely surrender myself to people. I'm still me and I'm solid, but I really like you being happy and making you happy makes me happy, but not in the dysfunctional people pleasing way, but in the entertaining way. If I can make you laugh, that's a good thing. If I can keep you interested in the story, that's a good thing. If I can listen to you and let you share your heart with my heart, that's a good thing. And those are all would fall into the category of people pleasing. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's fun. I was telling somebody a story the other day or uh, the other hour earlier today. And I said, um, you know, when I was in a band, I got really tired of, of being uh, always accused by the other members of the band of uh, being the drummer and not a real musician. And I really got tired of that. They were really like talking down to me because I'm just the drummer. I'm not a real musician. So I went to the heart to, uh, to a, a pawn shop and I walked in and I looked around for a minute. And the fellow behind the counter says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, how much is the accordion in the corner? And he says, get out of here. We don't serve drummers. What? Okay. So I left and I waited a couple of days and I went back in and I, I put a fake mustache on and dark sunglasses and a hat. And I thought I did a nice disguise. And I went in there and I looked around for a minute. The guy says, how can I help you? And I said, yeah, how much is the accordion in the corner? He said, I told you before, we don't serve drummers. Please leave. So I left. This time I waited a couple of weeks and I did a really good job of disguising myself. Didn't look anything like myself. And I went in and I waited. I looked around. The guy said, hi, can I help you? And I said, yeah, how much is the accordion in the corner? And he said, how many times do I have to tell you we don't serve drummers? And I said, how do I know? How'd you know I was a drummer? He said, well, first of all, that's the radiator. But I'm bummed. Yeah. And uh, that really wasn't a true story. That was a, that's how I like to tell stories of personalizing them. Because at first you think, oh, but that, that's how I like to tell jokes. Anyway, um, yeah, jumping around. So here I was hitchhiking around the country. And, uh, and I thought of this the other day, which actually makes up, makes sense today. Um, I'm kind of an atheist and, but I only believe, I only have a disbelief in the higher power or the God that is trying to, that people are trying to convince that I'm, uh, that I need help outside, that I'm not complete and whole myself. And I remember at one point I was hitchhiking. Um, I got picked up by these young people uh, outside of Chicago on our way to Florida and the car broke down. And so I stuck out my thumb and this woman picked me up. And so we started talking about religion and uh, she was a Christian. And, uh, and I said, that's really good. I believe in the power in ourselves, in the God within us, because that's where I get my answers. That's where I got my protection when I was little and in a dangerous situation. That's how I get, that's how I trust myself now when I put myself in dangerous situations by hitchhiking around the country in the 70s when there was John Wayne Gacy's and other murderers around. I really trusted my instincts and my, my inner voice. And I believe that's the God within us and that our belief in that God in, within ourselves and that power 
And that intuition collectively creates the God that other people need in order to, that the ones that need to believe in something outside of themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way I believe, you know, and uh, because when I was little and living in a, in a, you know, surrounded by junkies, um, you know, I know, you know, I don't have a specific memory because I haven't done the, uh, the inner child work like, um, um, like the last speakers, last week's speaker spoke, but um, I know I pleaded uh, and begged for safety. Um, and there was no voice. The cloud didn't s spread out or anything. It was my inner energy that taught me that I needed to have my back against the wall. That taught me that I needed to walk into a room and read it immediately to know who was safe and who was dangerous. Mostly everybody was dangerous. So that was the easy lesson. And, uh, you know, it took me years to actually learn safe people. So that was uh, that was some of the things that uh, you know. I think I think today's share is is I want to I want to talk about things that uh, um, lessons that I learned before I even came here to ACA because uh, we've all got the, the the red book, we've all got the inner the, the loving parent guidebook, we've all got the daily meditations and stuff like that, and we know it's in that book and we've, and, and we've listened to, a, you know, I've listened to a lot of the speakers uh, over the weeks that was the speakers in other meetings. And, and I've also attended how many meetings in, in, in six years and done workshops and stuff. So I know a lot of the stuff that's going on now. I know a lot of the, you know, how many of the, uh, um, of the promises that, that I actually incorporated in my life. Uh, how many of, um the the laundry list that um that i've been able to work to the flip side of negative things that were in my life that are now that i can now see as positive such as the people pleasing and becoming an actor instead of a reactor and uh with you know so yeah there's all kinds of good stuff there's a couple of couple of things that I want to talk about. Uh, music. I really want to talk about music and my granddaughter and music. Music to me is uh, has always been uh, a, a safe place. I have several different programs on my, on my iPhone. Uh, I have a healing uh, playlist that is strictly uh, just healing songs. And, uh, and then I have more of a, a fun, um, the healing, healing, uh, ones are like Chicago's, uh, uh, make me smile. Joan Armitrading's love and affection. Joan Armitrading's loving what you hate. That was a big one for me when I started uh, doing, uh, beer work and, and affirmations. Loving what you hate is, is by Joan Armitrading is really great because I had to learn to love what I hate because I looked in the mirror. And all I could think about was the bad things, the things that uh, that I had learned unconsciously from my grandmother and my mother that we were not worthwhile. We weren't. We were, you know, uh, because my grandmother was was raped and forced to marry the man that that raped her, raised his child, um, and because uh, 
you know, because of that, she was worthless in her community. And there was, she was always like the uh, scarlet woman, I guess. My mother as well. You know, it was her fault that she was that she was that she was raped. Uh, and so there was also that thing. And they were also very undereducated, which I was as well. I dropped out of school in eighth grade. And uh, so all I could look at when I was when I was doing. Um, um, oops, I didn't mean to turn it on. Um, all I could look at when I first started doing uh, mirror work was the bad things, you know? And, um, so I started with my, with my granddaughter and, uh, started talking about that. And then the music, she loves music and we play music and I have music every morning and she dances and stuff. And she's just not walking yet, but she just dances and she loves, uh, you know, she loves when I play my, my healing, uh, my healing music. And she especially loves like early sixties, uh, the Supremes and the Beach Boys and stuff as well. Um, I, I should have somebody take notes. And then when I start losing track, say, you were starting to talk about this. And um, how are we doing on time, by the way? Oh, not bad. Um, So anyway, so I and I got this other one, uh, this other playlist that of stuff that just makes me dance. I started making a uh, for for the spring recovery camp. I was asked to be the DJ uh, uh, on the first on twenty twenty, the year the first year that we didn't have the spring recovery camp because of COVID. And I started uh, making all this dance music that was very positive and uplifting, and uh, and it was so fun. And even though I didn't get to uh, to be the DJ that year, I uh, um, I still listen to it, and it just just brings me up, and is really, 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 really healing. And uh, um, and I'll, I've noticed that a lot of those songs were also carryovers from when I had my anniversary with my wife. I made a uh, a playlist of love songs that I was going to play while we were on a, a road trip in, in Scotland. And she wasn't really that interested because she likes more newer music. And she was that eight, child of the eighties and a lot of the songs and stuff. But I realized that there are a lot of love songs. And I started looking at these love songs. And when I'm starting to feel down, I take these love songs and I change the words for me. And those are really, 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 really healing for me. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's just so much fun. It's, uh, you know, um, so your love is a river running soul deep. Yeah. My love is alive. That's scary. Uh, I can't remember what saying. And it just, yeah, I don't know if anybody else does that. And uh, as a matter of fact, that might be the, the topic of our of afterwards of uh, what songs sing to you. How are we doing, Gretchen? I saw you reaching for your phone. You have uh, 15 plus three, 18 minutes left. Excellent. Excellent. Um, 
Oh, I remember why. So I brought up my, my granddaughter. Um, when I was in my worthless stage, I was afraid of small children because I believed that they could look right through you and they could see every bad thing that you'd ever done every. And um, the problem was what I know now and what my granddaughter is teaching me is that that's just pure love that they're looking at. And they can actually see through the bullshit that you put in front of you. Like I always put the bullshit in front of me that I was worthless, that I was unsafe, that I was this person that I would never hang around. And uh, when she looks at me, she sees through that facade and she sees the true spirit, the loving spirit inside. And it's so good. And she's so funny too. She's uh um, I think I shared last time that uh, that they live in the guest house out, out back. And so I get to see her most every mornings. And she's now, uh, she comes up to my room. If I'm not awake already, she comes up to my room and knocks on the door and pushes it open and, and makes sure grandpa hangs out with her. And she's just like, yeah. And we just hang out. We just hang out. That's that's really, then I know I shared this last time, that that's just, um She's teaching me that that's just what my inner child wants me to do at this point is to just be present and love. And there's a couple of stories that, that I shared, uh, I shared with, with one of the young people at work because I, you know, they've, you know, they like talking to me and it's really nice to have a bunch of young people who, and I share, I share not necessarily my healing stories, but my other stories. But this one woman really likes my healing stories. And um, so we were at spring camp and uh, there was a workshop where we wrote, had a lanyard and we wrote two things that we wanted to hear on our chest. And there was two circles. There was the inner circle and the outer circle. And what I wrote on my chest is you're worthy and you're safe. Because those are two things that I didn't believe about myself. I didn't believe that I was worthy and I didn't believe that I was safe. And so I was on the inner circle. So the, as, I'm, as the inner circle just closes your eyes and just remains motionless. And the outer circle goes around and they lean in without touching, lean in and whisper what you've written on your card. And Coincidentally, there was all women on the outside circle. So I'm hearing all these women tell me that I'm safe and that I'm worthy. And it was really nice to hear. And unexpectedly, there was one man in the outer circle. And he leaned, leaned in and said, you're safe and you're worthy. And I had done some uh, healing work about my father and a men's group and all this kind of stuff. And I done this other stuff to try and heal my relationship with, uh, with, with the father who had abandoned me. And my stepfather, my dad, um, and I had done some really good work. But when this man leaned in and told me that I was safe and worthy, I broke down because I realized how much, how, how much of an open wound I had with my, with my biological father. Excuse me. And uh, so that was like, yeah, just to hear a man tell me that I was that I was worthy, um, because you know, 
there was a lot of, uh, my stepfather was great, but there was a lot of things that I didn't trust about men. Um, you know, during my hitchhiking days, I was molested. And, and also I had to have this fake facade around men that I was tough and cool and all kinds of stuff. So fast forward to another outside uh, um, workshop or actually flashback. Uh, my wife and I were taking a three month intensive before we got married. I don't know if anybody remembers Barbara DeAngelis, and John Gray, uh, but it was based on their work. And uh, now imagine me, I had multicolored hair. I was a musician. I was kind of wild. I had used to wear this, this blue jean vest all the time with all these badges on the front patches and whatnot. And uh, one of the workshops, they said, uh, one of the exercises, they said, find the person uh, who is most scary to you in the room. And I looked around and there was this tall blonde woman with blue eyes and she was like the total Barbie and way above who I thought would even talk to me, you know, and anything like that. And she locked eyes with me and we approached each other because I was a scary person to her. And it was so great because we both got to, to meet people who we thought were scary and find out that we weren't scary. It was crazy. I was, yeah, I've been around bikers and I was around gang members and I was around all these people and I'm not scared of them, but this, Blue-eyed, tall, blue-eyed, blonde-haired woman I was terrified of. Why? Why was I terrified of her? Because I wasn't worthy to have um, a woman, quote-unquote, of that caliber, even speaking at me and looking at me. I mean, it's like, uh, little did I know, all I really had to do was turn my head a little bit, and there was this beautiful, you know, shorter, five-foot-five, uh, blonde-haired, green-eyed woman who was had fallen in love with me and I'd fallen in love with. And yes, I, you know, we totally deserved and work deserved each other. And, and that was in 1988. And we're still married and, you know, we have children and grandchildren and, you know, but it's just that, that teaching myself that I'm worthy. And uh, just like, well, today, you know, I mean, there was a, there's a little bit of me that, uh, um, that wanted to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Dottie. I forgot, uh, Renee, there's any, is there anything else we can do? Can I just read out of the red book? I could just, uh, I, nobody really wants to hear me and I don't want to, and, uh, and, you know, and, uh, but then I said, you know what? I have my story and, uh, some of it's good. Some of it is, is, uh, is, is not so good, but I've, I've, yeah, I survived to 64. And um, and all I got to do is survive for about another 10 minutes. And then Gretchen will tell me I'm time's up. <laughs> and, uh, um, but um, I guess, yeah, really what I want to, my message today is, uh, I'm you know, a, a moderator and I participate in a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, Facebook groups. And, uh, um, and I hear and read stories 
and in, in meetings as well, like live meetings. But I, uh, I've been going through a lot of those lately for a completely different reason. Um, but in the in the readings I'm doing, a lot of people are are really not uh, not giving themselves credit for surviving what we've survived, and they're not uh, acknowledging the stuff that we learned. Yes, uh, I learned some bad habits from my from my mom you know being not worthy and my grandmother and the and the different things but if i go if i you know go through the weeds and i look she taught me to be a wonderful loving person and um there was you know dozens of people at her memorial service who all called her mom and uh and you know my dad wonderful loving person and uh who taught me that you know a whole bunch of stuff and even my biological father when i went to his uh, memorial service with my three biological sisters from from him because i have three older three older sisters from him one younger sister from him and then five uh brothers and sisters from my from my uh mother's side but there was a group of people he had been uh, in program for many, many years. And there is a group of people who uh, just surrounded him and said, there's, yeah, if, if I called Bob in the middle of the night and he was on the other coast, he would fly in the middle of the night and take me to a meeting. If I had fallen off the wagon, he had done this and that and the other. And, but me and his three sister, my four sisters, my younger sister as well, he had totally abandoned and as much as all these people in program loved him, his family, he had abandoned his family. And so he died alone. And that was a great lesson to me because I have issues with my family, but I'm, I don't want to die alone. You know, and I'm 64. It's a, you know, I got, I got some time. I'm in not bad shape. Um, but he taught me that uh, that I don't want to do that, and that's a very important lesson. Dottie, fingers four, five, three, two, one. Or I'm sorry, Gretchen. You know what? I, you got you've got six minutes. Six minutes. That's a <laughs> life. That's two or three lifetimes to a tsetse fly. Oh my goodness. Um. Music, worthiness. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad that I got through um, uh, the laundry list and all the stuff that uh, that I first read. Uh, you know, my first meeting back is um, I don't know, if, I don't know if anybody's listened to my share from 2020. Uh, but I had found, um, um, I was with one of my sisters in Portland and, uh, and heard a tape by a guy named Bob Earl. And he had, uh, he'd gone through a phase. He was an alcoholic, uh, um, AA speaker. He said, I, I went through his 17 years of program going, I forgive my parents. They did the best job they knew how I forgive my parents. They did the best job they knew how I forgive my parents. And then one day he said, you know, fuck that. I was a perfect child and I deserved a perfect uh, to a perfect childhood. 
And I have a right to be mad about that. That realization, because I had at that point put my mother up you know, on a on a pedestal. She was, you know, she'd sold her body to put food in my belly and a roof on my head. I mean, how could you fault a woman like that? She deserves a pedestal. That's my thinking then. And I found ACA. I uh, went to my first meeting, and then I I spent about a year going to ACA, and then I and then life happened that I walked away, and I came back to ACA about six years ago. Uh, six years ago, uh, April first was uh, was my sixth birthday. Couldn't remember exactly when my birthday was, but I know, you know, I'm kind of a fool, so I I chose that as my as my ACA birthday. Um. So. That's kind of what brought me is uh, the realization that I had, you know, and I, where, where was I? I was my first meeting back after, after not being here. And all of a sudden we have the, uh, the laundry list. And I saw all these things that, I mean, I matched perfect the entire laundry list. And because of my self-worth and my believing that I wasn't, you know, that was a, not a good person, everything like that. So every fault I saw in there uh was was me and uh so of course my critical parent is saying you might as well just run it's like there's nothing for you but i knew there was when i read the promises i knew that you know there was hope for me and uh and i hope that uh my hope is that no matter how crazy uh your lives and your childhood and your adulthood and your life was until you found ACA and started doing some of this work uh, that you can find the diamonds that are, that are wrapped up in the coal, because that's really what I'm finding these days for myself. And I don't, I don't know if I'm, I've expressed it tonight. I have no idea. That's up to you guys uh, to uh, either tell me or, or reflect back to me by next you know next week you're the speaker and i get to listen to your share um and uh you know i really don't know and uh you know the last thing is uh because i don't know uh one of the things that my mother used to say is that uh there's two windows next to the pearly gates one of them is you pay for your sins so if you're if you got a if you've done a pretty good job and you lived a pretty decent life and you don't have a lot of sins uh, and you have some credit, and you go to the window and you pay for your sins. Great. If you, and if you have credit left over, you get to go to the second window where that's the answer window where you get to say, uh, hey, remember on you know, uh, uh, July 20th, then 2023, did I make any sense or did I just kind of waste an hour of, of these lovely people's lives listening to me just ramble on? and uh, yeah, I know my inner child likes it because my inner child was not recognized for so many years. So, you know, he's actually dancing a little jig going, look at all these people paying attention to me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm worth something. And you, you like, like, uh, like, uh, what, what, what's her name? Uh, the actress, uh, who played Gidget when she got the Academy Award. <gasps> you like me. You really like me. And so that's what my inner child says. Look, you guys, nobody shut themselves off. Nobody's like, you know, holding up signs going, shut up, Stephen. Yeah, I've gone too long. Except Gretchen. Gretchen is allowed to tell me I've gone too long. And if uh, if your smile is telling me that time is over, 
I'm okay with that. And uh, let's, um, a couple of subjects here. Like I, you know, like last time I was here, I can't really pick a, a subject because I want to hear what you say. Like one of the things I'm interested in is because I, I have expressed my love of music. Uh, if there is any songs that speak to you, that get you out of a funk, if there's any stories in your past that that before program was a bad story, but then you that you rubbed the coal off and you found the diamond in there. I want to hear that story, and I want to hear more about uh, you know just if anything struck a uh, anything in there that's not it's open topic time. And thank you all for letting me share. Uh, Dottie, I think if you invite me again, let's let's make it about a year because by that time I'll I'll have, yeah, I'll have a little bit more to talk about and and yeah, I won't overlap so much, you know. <laughs> and but um, yeah, but I'm so delighted that you asked me and and uh, my inner child, like I said, is is like <laughs> likes to tell this story, and uh, I got a lot of them. Anybody know how to type, you know, or take dictation? I can. Uh, yeah, I got a ton of stories that are dying to get out. You know, so come to LA and talk me into doing stand up somewhere. You know, or 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 uh, you know, get off my butt and do the moth. You know, except they only let you have five minutes. That's just not fair. You know. All right, I'm sorry, Gretchen. Renee, take it, take it, take it away, or else I'll just keep talking forever. Come on, you know, help I me. I got you, <laughs> Stefan. Thank you so much. 